I should have had him speak in the middle of my message because he's literally reading my notes, which is fantastic in one sense. In the other sense, uh, stole the thunder altogether. Goodness gracious. This is what you hear today. Like my wife and I were just kind of chatting, listening to, listening to Luke talk. And, her, and his wife's name is Shanna, even though I, asked, I, I called her Shanna for some weird reason. During greeting time, Shanna or Shanna? She's like, Shanna. So I called her Shanna. Lord of mercy. Um, but my wife and I were just chatting, and honestly, we are thrilled that when we send out ministers from, not just from the Assemblies of God, from the church of Jesus Christ out into the world, that they are going to the uttermost parts of the world. Why? Because every soul deserves to know about Jesus. We believe that. If you have your Bibles, hopefully you've got your scripture journals. We're going through the book of Colossians. If you haven't grabbed one of these, you should grab one of these. We've still got another five weeks left of uh, Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to go through uh, verses uh, 15 through 20. And uh, hopefully you're, you're prepared. Hopefully you've been reading and memorizing all of Colossians. If you're new here, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, you don't have to memorize it. If you want to memorize it, go for it. I think it's a fantastic book to memorize. But we are in a series called RSVP uh, where we are taking every single week and, and showing that Paul, the writer of Colossians, is giving an invitation to people. He's giving an invitation to people. Today we're going to give an invitation to a Savior. Let's pray. Lord, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name is to be praised and lifted up. And so we ask that, Jesus, be magnified by what we say and what we do today. Lord, I just thank you for the Moore family. I thank you, Lord, for individuals that have just simply said yes to you and ask that you would just bless them, keep them, let your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Turn toward them and their kids and grant them peace, Lord. And Lord, I just ask, anoint the word, let it go forth upon hearts, let it bear fruit today, and Lord, let a 10-game winning streak happen for the Lions today, in your name, amen. So I got a Packers shirt staring at me right now, preaching under oppression right now. First world problems, goodness gracious. Do you remember your first flat tire? Let me ask this question, how many of you have never, you're a driver and you've never had a flat tire ever? What? Can it, really? Never had a flat tire. You're like, I'm just blessed. I'm not. <laughs> um, I've had quite a few. My first flat tire that I can remember, I was, I don't know why I was on Clinton River Road at that time, but something about Clinton River Road over in Detroit, that's where I'm from, um, that, that's got spots that's by neighborhoods and suburbs and spots where there's just nothing. And so one day I'm just driving down the street and it's, I think it's around, I was 16, so it's probably 1991, 1992. And all of a sudden I feel something in the back car starts pulling a little bit. I've got a flat tire. I've never had one before. And so I pull my 86 tempo off to the side. How great was the tempo? I owned three, no joke, three 86 tempos in my life. How sad is that? So I should start a Facebook group. I'd be the only one person that loved the tempo. Well, my tempo gets a flat tire, so I pull off to the side, but I am nowhere near any lights. There's literally no neighborhood, no traffic lights, no random light on a pole. It is pitch black. And some of you uh, young people are saying, well, why didn't you pull out your phone with the flashlight? Guess what we didn't have in 1991? 
We had no lights, and so in my head, I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I'm like, i got to get my spare out, but I don't have a trunk light. And on top of that, I was the typical guy of the 90s, like my trunk is full of junk, and I, I almost said junk in the trunk, that would have been, that's different. But my, I have all these dirty clothes, stuff in my trunk that well, sometime I'll actually take out and clean. And you, how do you know if it's clean? You just sniff it and then you wear it. This is what we did back in the 90s and 80s. So I am like grabbing arms full of clothes and throwing them in my back seat. And I'm trying to figure out where is like the, the jack? Because it's an old Ford, which is one of those stupid accordion jacks that have never been opened up. So it's probably rusted together and... Is the tire fastened? I'm like, in my brain, I know how to change a spare, but I just don't know what I'm looking for here. By the way, parents, do not allow your kids to drive unless they know how to change a tire. That is, that don't preach. That's the biggest amen I've had the whole morning. And so I'm in a little bit of a panic, and I'm just kind of rushing. I got, I got my hands down. I can't, see, I can't see my hand in front of my face. And all of a sudden, a car pulls up and pulls right behind me and pulls on the brights. And all right, I'm from the Detroit area. I don't expect kindness. And so, I, so Detroit Dave shows up. My son will admit that's his favorite form of Dave is Detroit Dave. And so... I'm like a little on edge, and this guy gets out. He goes, looks like you've got a flat. Do you need help? I'm like, um, um, I'm like, I'm like all nervous. And he goes, you know what? Let me, I'm going to keep my brights on. We're going to make sure that you get this changed. Do you have a jack? I said, I, I think it's down here. He goes, no, I've got a better jack in my trunk. So he pulls out this jack, slides underneath, puts the car up, and, and he goes, okay, where's your, where's your lug wrench? I said, I think it's in here. He goes, I've got sockets in the back. Pulls sockets out. He literally pops the thing off, changes it. In like five, ten minutes, it's done. He lowers it. He's like, have a great night. He got in his car and drove away. And some of you are like, he was an angel, Pastor Dave. In Detroit, probably. But when you're in that moment, an angel drove a Camaro. I mean, I don't know if, not know if that was accurate, but. I remember when you're, I was in this place of, I need help. I need someone to help me. I need some guidance. But how many of you know that when you need help, it depends the type of person that shows up? Because there are some people that when you're hurting, they will show up because they either want to add to that hurt or they want the drama behind the hurt. Because there are some people that are friends in your life that they're not as much of a friend of you as they are a friend of the drama out of your life. And they will feed on that drama until you don't give them that any longer. And there are some people that will become buzzards and vultures that will just swoop around hurting people that would just kind of pick them apart and live off of that. So it matters when you're hurting and when you're broken, when you're empty, when you're in darkness. It matters the type of person that shows up. What I needed in that moment, I needed someone that had ability. I needed someone that had a light. I needed somebody that had the equipment, the know-how. I needed somebody that could just step into a moment and to help me through something that I could not do in and of myself. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about the gospel today. Let's talk about the Jesus that we started learning about in the previous 14 verses. In fact, it says, I'll look in my scripture journal. It says in verse 13, Pastor Juan wrapped up last section. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. He's talking about the father sending the son. And so Paul is saying, listen, 
the Father sent the Son. Now it's time for you to celebrate the Son. And the Son's name is Jesus. He wants to celebrate Jesus. And so what we've got in our section for today, I hope you got your scripture journals. I hope you highlight it and write in it like I do. This is the way to utilize these things. He gives us in the next six verses what some commentators believe is the very first hymn about Jesus ever written. The next six verses is written in two stanzas. It's a hymn about Jesus. It's two stanzas. It's a song about Jesus. Why? Because he wants the people in Colossia. He wants them to understand that the one that God sent, he is the Savior. He is the Lord, and he is who he said he was. And so we have two stanzas here. In the first three verses, we've got a stanza that's about Jesus, the Lord of creation. And then the second stanza is about Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. The new creation. So I'm just going to read these first three verses, and then we're going to talk a little bit here. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Oh, there's so much good stuff here. Now let me give you a little bit of context about the culture of what Paul was writing to when it came to the Colossians and everything they they dealt with. And part of that culture, there was a group called Gnostics. And the Gnostics there, they were a a group of false teachers that were beginning to spread lies. Now, I I could take heretics that have bold faced lies that are right there in your face. Those are easy to spot. It's easy to spot big, fat, bold faced lies. But one thing that I always get weary about is those that aren't in your face, but they're subtle. Deception, some of us think deception is about what hits us smack in the face. Deception is that small, little way to kind of get underneath the skin, to get underneath the truth and try to prop it up and to change it. And that's exactly what they were doing. Because the Gnostics, they were not saying that Jesus Christ was the devil. Or they weren't saying that that they hated Jesus. They didn't necessarily attack Jesus. What they tried doing in that day, in that culture, is they tried to devalue Jesus. And the way they did it is they tried lowering his status slightly than than it was really at. They wanted to take away the significance of Jesus and to put Jesus into a place where he was less than God. He was something more than a created being of God. Therefore, he's not who you think he is. The Gnostics in this time believe that the earth in general, everything that's made of matter, that's like day one of science, isn't it? This is matter. Everything is made of matter from my shoes to the floor to your bodies. Matter makes up everything. And a Gnostic's mindset is that everything that is made up of matter is inherently evil and bad and it's just, there's nothing good in it. And so what they teach is this, is they didn't believe that God created the world but he, they sent an intermediary to go and do things for him. And then he created another intermediary, 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 I'll say it correctly, and then another, and then another, and then another. And then along the line of all of those, that there was one of those intermediaries who was hostile toward God, and that was the one that created the earth. Because in the brain, a good God cannot have made the could not have made this and therefore he can't touch it he keeps his distance and so the idea is that Jesus 
was one of, probably one of those intermediaries in their mind. He wasn't fully God, a bit like God, but their goal was to diminish who Jesus is, to lower him down. He's not the Savior. He's not the Lord. He's not God. And so Paul is writing into that, and he gives three specific titles. I want you to get a hold of these titles in this first stanza. These amazing titles. I want you to grasp this. Write this in your scripture journals. Number one, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. This takes me back because I see the word image and I immediately go to the book of Genesis where Genesis says that you and I were made in what? The image of God. So that's where my brain goes here with Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. That he is the image of the invisible God, which tells us that number one, that he is When you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. And not only that, if you want to know what we are supposed to look like and act like, look at Jesus. Because if he's the image of the invisible God, we not only see what God is like, but we see how we are supposed to act, be like Jesus. But the problem in our culture is this, is that we get Jesus and we want to rebrand Jesus into the image that we want him to be in. We are so busy trying to shape Jesus to look more like us so he can fit into our culture rather than getting Jesus in view of our lives and getting our lives to look like Jesus. We're so busy shaping Jesus. We're trimming him to make him more acceptable so that that he's just the, the type of Jesus we want him to be. Listen, I'm so tired of us trying to shape Jesus. I want Jesus to shape us. And if you want to know how you've, if you've made Jesus into your own image, I've given you a, I've given you a bit of a litmus test. If you, you know you've made Jesus in your own image, is when Jesus hates all the people that you hate. When Jesus never disagrees with you personally. When Jesus judges others harsher than he will ever judge you. When Jesus never disagrees with anything regarding your political party. This is when we've made Jesus into our own image. But Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus made what would seem like the unknowable God knowable. I wonder if God is merciful. Look at Jesus. Does God care about the sick? Look at Jesus. Does God care about my finances? Look at Jesus. Does God love me? Look at Jesus. Because you can see Jesus and we see what, some people think, you can't know God. There's this this unknowable God. I'm like, first of all, that's not possible because God loved us so much that he sent his son. And when you see the son, you see the father. And there are some things that I don't understand in life. But one thing I do understand is I understand who Jesus is. And when I understand Jesus, I understand the father because they are one. See Jesus. You want to know God. You want to know Jehovah God. You want to know Yahweh. Know Jesus. Look at Jesus. Experience Jesus. Because how many of you know, there's just something different about seeing something rather than hearing about something. It was, wow, it was last year. Somebody gifted me with a pair of Michigan tickets. And so I took my son-in-law. I took, I took Josh, my son-in-law, to his very first Michigan game. And now Josh, uh, Josh came into our family. Josh is a soccer fan. And for those of you that don't, don't know, soccer is football players that can't catch. <laughs> Sorry, baby. Now, now he's, 
through this past couple years has affected me where now I've got interest in soccer. I actually know what's going on on the, on the, on the field now, or on the pitch. I'll get it right. And at the same time, he is really caught on to American football. At one point, he's like, man, I understand why this has become really America's sport. And so he, has, he had never been to the big house. I remember talking with him, and he said this. He says, I've never been to a stadium larger, larger than Portage Northern High School. I'm like, oh, this is the place to go. Why? Because what's, the state, what's Michigan Stadium called? It's the big house. And so to walk into that bowl where it seats 115,000 people, I, I, can, I hear him go, wow. And the first big play, when you see 115,000 people stand, and I, can, I hear him next to me just go, wow. Over and over and over. And then we talked about it so much on the way home, just, just the, the feel of the crowd, the energy of the crowd. Now, granted, he has watched the Michigan game on my couch in my home. He has kind of heard it. He's saw it from afar, but when you capture it in, it in person, there is just something about that atmosphere that changes the way that you view the game. Let me tell you about this. So many of us, we've heard a lot about Jesus, and we like that version of Jesus, but some of us need to have an encounter with Jesus. Because if we will see him face to face, if we will drop our defenses and get to know him, if we will put our faith, our trust, and our life in his hands, there is something that will transform that will make you go, whoa. It'll transform you. Why? Because he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I'll read it from here. It says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is, get this, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I want to say it this way. The more you look at Jesus, the more you see how beautiful God is. You don't understand God? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Dive in to Jesus. Look at the face. The face is everything. Look at the face of Jesus. I tell you what, when that guy pulled up behind me with my flat tire and he got out, I promise you, if he had a ski mask, something else was getting pulled out of my trunk. I got, I just, you got to see the face. You got to see who this person is. You got to know, is this the right person that's showing up for me? I want you to understand that when we were in our darkness, when we were lost, when life was bankrupt, when we were dead in our sins, Jesus showed up. Our rescuer showed up. And it's not a Jesus, just a Jesus that will show up. It's a Jesus we can know, a Jesus we can experience, and a Jesus that we can take with us for the rest of our lives. This is our Jesus. The key title number two, the second title is, he is the firstborn over creation. Now this is, a, there's a lot of contextual things with this. It says he was the firstborn of all creation. Now this firstborn, this is where some people will argue, well this proves that Jesus was a created being. Jesus, we've already seen, he existed, he was a part of creation. In fact, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and see, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, darkness covered the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. We see God the Father in verse 1, we see God the Holy Spirit in verse 2, and these verses tell us that Jesus is present as well. We see the Trinity at work. It's a beautiful thing. 
but he's called the firstborn over creation. But this is a bit of a wordplay in terms of the context of this time and day because the firstborn represented really three things. If you were the firstborn in the family, it means you had more authority than everybody else. You had more ability than everybody else. You had more power than everybody else. You had, you had a stance that nobody else in your family had. Anybody who's the oldest in the family, firstborns? Yeah, we're the favorites, aren't we? Yes, hallelujah. We always like to think we can exercise more authority. But in reality, in this day and age, like my sister and I were just Dave and, Dave and Rachel. But in this day, when you were the firstborn, there was a stamp upon your life that set you apart from everybody else. There are things that you can do. You can exercise the authority of your family that your siblings couldn't do. You can exercise the power and the wealth and the abilities of your family, the influence of your family, and your siblings could not do. Because why? You were the firstborn. So the firstborn of creation is not signifying that Jesus was first created. It was signifying his position overall. It was uh, three years ago. I shared a story three years ago, and I should have brought the picture. And uh, Marty, I did put it into the Sunday stuff. You got it? Um, it was me traveling into historic Three Rivers. And we were early. Now, my wife doesn't mind being early over to somebody's house. I have this paranoia about showing up early to somebody's house. And so I'll just go take a drive somewhere. And so that's just going to tell you. You invite me over. You might just say, Pastor, just show up. I'm not going to just show up. I'm just going to drive. And so we get, so Anne's like, I've never been to Historic Three Rivers. I don't know why I always say Historic Three Rivers, but I said, well, let me take you on a drive. And so we're driving into Three Rivers, and I thought I was supposed to turn. It was dark, but for some reason, I only drive in very darkened areas. And on my GPS, I thought it was a road. It turns out it's not the road. It's the railroad. And, like, and, and as I, I said this three years ago, as soon as we... Hit, the, hit down on the railroad. Show the picture of the car on the railroad. This is, that's not my car. I don't know who stuck that one in there. Do you have the, you have the real one? Okay, well, that would have gotten me off the railroad. So I land on the railroad and immediately Ann looks at me. She goes, I'm out of here. And she just leaves me with the car. And so I'm like trying to, you know, go in reverse. I'm trying to get it off the, off the rails. And obviously we're taking pictures. And I'm calling 911. I'm like, I'm imagining a train coming and taking out my Chrysler Sebring. And now that I think about it, maybe I should have just not called 911 and just let that all happen. Oh, God bless that Sebring. So we're stuck on the railroad. And I remember just like, what are we going to do? We're supposed to be at someone's house in like 20 minutes. I don't know what we're going to do. So I called the people's home. They literally ran right over and they're like, okay, I don't know how we're going to deal with this. Do we need to call a tow truck? And right when that happened, this guy pulls up with this super heavy, monstrous truck. He goes, looks like you're stuck. Thank you. He's one of those guys that when a waitress drops something at a restaurant, they clap. That's one of those people. So he's like, hey, I could just pull you out. That won't, that'll be no problem at all. Some of you are thinking, you need to drive with me anytime your car goes bad because angels show up with trucks and jacks when, I, when I'm, I'm out. So this guy, in minutes, we just hook up a strap. He pulls me right on out and just goes about his day. And we get, we get to the house, I think, five minutes late. It was, it was amazing. But can I tell you this? What I needed to show up for me was not another Chrysler Sebring. Some of you are judging me for driving a Chrysler Sebring. She's gone now. She's gone. 
But I didn't need somebody like me to show up. I needed something beyond me. I needed something beyond me. I needed the firstborn of creation. Some of you have shown up today because you've shown up because you want to come and you want to worship the one that transformed your life. Because at some point in your life, Luke talked about, you remember the day when you recognize that you were dead in your sin, that apart from Jesus, there was no promise for life whatsoever. You're here because you recognize that there was a firstborn that had the authority to speak in your life, the power, the resource, everything that you needed to complete your life, to heal your life, to bring your life together. There was the one, the firstborn that came in and transformed you from the inside out. That's our Jesus. You recognize you couldn't pull yourself out. You couldn't pull yourself off the railroad. You couldn't pull yourself out of the ditch. You couldn't pull yourself out of your sin. We needed that firstborn that could stand in the authority of the Father and to call us out of our tomb. That leads us toward the third key title, which is creator and sustainer. It says in verse 16 through 17, For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. These are, these are amazing sets of verses. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Write down the words, he is the creator and sustainer. He is the creator and and sustain her. Again, the Gnostic heresy was this. God could not make the world because he could never, he doesn't want to be near anything broken. He doesn't want to be near anything sinful. Uh, sinful. He doesn't want to be near anything that's off. But Paul makes it clear that number one, everything was made by Jesus. Everything was made by Jesus and not just was it made by him. It's through him that things come together. In fact, in verse 16, it utilizes a specific set of words. It says this. It says, whether uh, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Uh, many commentators believe that this is not talking about earthly dominions, earthly authorities. This seems to be what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about putting on this, the armor of God. Why? Because there's principalities, powers, rulers in the darkness of this world. Paul is saying, listen, even the spiritual authorities of this world have to submit to the power of the one that created and sustains all things. Everything is underneath his dominion. They're made by him and they're made for him. What does that mean? Is that as creation, we were made to worship God. I'm just going to tell you this. I love preaching, but you were not made to listen to, to, to sermons all day long, every single day. That's not why you were made. The most close thing we can get to when we come together about getting back to why we do what we do and why were we created is when we lift up our hands and we sing together, when we worship together, when we give together, when we do acts of worship, you're getting back to what you were created to do. And that's why so many people get it wrong when they talk about, man, I just felt the good presence of God in, in the church today. Oh, I just got to go back to the real world on Monday. That's the falseness. That's the lie. Because the reality of what we're experiencing is what we were made to be like all the time. And what we go into in the, the real world is the, is the facade. We're made to interact, to inter interact with God, to worship God on a daily basis, to, to walk in a love, to know that God is not just made, He not just made us, he, is, he made us for us, and in Him, He holds all things together. I love that. He holds all things together. You know what that tells me? 
He's not the God that stands far off. He's the God in the middle of the mess. He is a God in the middle of your mess. Some of you are an absolute mess. Some of these preachers, we are an absolute mess. And God doesn't stand on the outside waiting for us to clean ourselves up to be presentable for him. The scripture says he pulled us out of the clay. He pulled us up out of the mess. He didn't like say, okay, let, let me get some gloves on and reach you. He got down in our mess. Like the gospels, a woman that was caught in adultery, that was thrown at his feet, he just got down in the dirt, into the mess. That's who he is. He's our savior sustaining us, working in us. And that brings us to our second stanza. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word preeminent, if you don't know, it means superior. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I love this. This next slide I want you to see because I think this is so key. This is just, this is so key. In the first stanza, we see that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. In the second stanza, Jesus is Lord of creation. In the first stanza, you see that he is the image of God. In the second stanza, he is the fullness of God. In the first stanza, we see that he created all things. In the second stanza, he reconciles all things. Do you see the difference that's taken place here? See, when he rose, he birthed a new humanity. In fact, he is also called the second Adam. We know the first Adam as the Adam from Genesis that sinned and the brokenness entered the human bloodstream, so to speak. But what we have in Jesus is we have a second Adam. And what happens is when second Adam took place, a new creation took place. This proved his preeminence, his supremacy over everything in this world. Even the most strong force that we can think of. You know what that force is? Death. Not even death could hold him. Why? Because he's preeminent over all creation. He is supreme over all creation. He is the firstborn. He is the Messiah. He is Lord. And in him was the fullness of God. What am I trying to say this morning? That Jesus is not just a Savior. He's a proven Savior. He has shown up yesterday. He will show up today, and he will keep showing up. He showed up when the moors were over where they were at. I'm going to keep that clean on, on our, our, our broadcast here. But at the same time, when they get back, then he's going to keep showing up because he's the God that shows up and proves himself day after day after day. Have you been let down by people? Me too. Have you been let down people by people in church? Me too. We've got t-shirts, we've got bumper stickers, uh, but I'm here to say that the person that has yet to let me down, he has one name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. This morning I want you to understand a simple truth, that there's nothing the enemy has taken from your life that God cannot restore. Listen, I've had things taken from my life. Well, we could talk about the past couple years. We could talk about God stealing reputation. We could talk, we could talk about God stealing your name. Not God, the enemy. God, he didn't steal my name. The enemy's stealing your name. The enemy's stealing your joy. Now, quite frankly, I think I just gave that away. I don't think he stole it. I gave it away. We can go down the list of the things that we can get robbed from. 
But I want you to understand that the supremacy of Jesus says that no matter what the enemy thought he took away, God can restore. Like in the days, days of Job, you may think you've lost it all, but God will do more than just give it back. God will give it with abundance of blessings on top of it. Jesus is the fullness of God. The Gnostics said, when it came to the fullness of God, this is what they said, that the fullness of God included all the, all the intermediaries that God made, and you bring all of them together, you get the fullness of God. And so what they didn't understand is Jesus was the complete manifestation of who God is. If there's anything the Gnostics got right is they got right the fact that there is a condition that is present in all of us. But what they missed out is they did not think that God would ever get involved personally. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful that I have a God that got involved personally. When you see somebody score against the Lions today, you will see it in the end zone. John 3, 16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That... It's so beautiful. For God so loved the what? It wasn't for God so loved the tithers. For God so loved the church leadership. For God so loved just the Pentecostals or just the Baptists or just this. But God so loved the world that he gave his son. Christ, I believe, desires to reconcile all things. Now, if you look in your scripture journals, if you look there in Colossians, you're going to see this. The word all is such an important word. Verse 16, all things were created. Verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Um, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 19, for, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, through him to reconcile himself to all things. This is Christ's desire to reconcile all things. Now, I'm not talking about universalism that everything just get, ultimately gets reconciled. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is availability. When we see the word all, it's salvation is available to all. Worship team, I need you up here. Salvation is available to all. And all you have to do to accept that is to listen for the voice calling you saying, come home. And now when I was writing this message, I'm reminded of, uh, see, just a couple years after Ethan was born, I remember one of our staff uh, members in Midland, Michigan, him and his wife, they, they got pregnant and uh, they were having a baby and little Easton was born. And I remember James showed me a, a little video of just after delivery. I wish I actually would have wrote him to get the video, but it was just a beautiful thing because you have Easton like laying on this table and they're cleaning Easton off and he's screaming his head off and they're just they're wiping him down and putting this stuff in his eyes. And James is, is just videoing everything from his phone. And then James leans down and this is what you hear is, hey Easton. And immediately Easton stopped crying and turned his head. I don't know if there's a more beautiful picture. In the midst of our screaming, our hurting, our brokenness, if we could just stop and listen, there is a voice calling you by name. 
Does God know my name? You better know. You better know. God knows your name. Does God know about your past, your sin, your brokenness? You better know. He knows it. He knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've ever done. You don't have to hide in shame from God. He already knows. What you need to do is just stop hiding your face because he's calling your name and all you got to do is turn toward him. Why? Because he wants to, he wants to make you new. Uh, Second Corinthians. I got to wrap up. I got to shut up here. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled to the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake, made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why I could stand here in Christ as an ambassador and say, if you are not in relationship with Jesus, be reconciled to God. Listen for his voice calling you today. Listen, feel the tug on your heart of God calling you back home. I don't know how broken your life is. I don't know what you've done in the past. You may feel like a Sebring abandoned on the tracks of life. I want you to understand a simple statement today that Jesus makes all things brand new. He makes all things brand new. What you learn about in church today, Jesus makes all things brand new. And it's a tricky statement because he makes it in the moment and yet he continues to make it new every single day. We are saved in the moment and then every single day we are being saved because it's immediate and it's progressive. It grows over and over and over. And every time we wake up the next day, there are new mercies that are available that will continue to make us brand new. Can you bow your heads with me? I gotta be done yakking today. I just wanna give one plea and one call today before we take communion. And we just go into a time of just some worship. Let's do what we were created to do. If you're here today and you are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to hear my voice. I'm not the, I'm just the voice of Dave Berenger, but at the same time, I, I wonder if you might recognize that this is also the time where God's trying to reach your heart. I don't think you showed up here by accident. I don't think that you showed up here just because somebody made you be here. I believe that God wanted you to be here to hear a simple message that he loves you so much that he sent his son for you. And I'm here to get you to sign up to be a part of this church, to, to give in the offering. I'm not here to do any of that junk here. My goal here is to introduce you to the one that transformed my life and has transformed literally millions of lives around this globe. I'm not promising a problem-free life, but I am, pro I am promising you one that will stand with you through every dark valley of your life, that will not just rescue you out of sin, but that will walk you through every valley of the shadow of death so much that you don't have to fear what anything the devil has because Jesus is with you. So if you're here today and you are not in relationship with Christ, but you need, you're recognizing today you've got to make a decision to follow Jesus. You don't even want to leave this place without making that decision. I just want to pray with you. I want to encourage you today. I want to help you in this journey. So if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus,
you have wandered away. Maybe you've never been in a relationship with Christ. Regardless of what situation it might be, this is your day and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, would you just stick your hand up in the air and say, Pastor Dave, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Thank you over here. Just looking around here. You are worth the whole message. Anybody else? You can put that hand down. Just a few minutes here, or a few seconds, I should say. Just a few seconds. Anybody else? You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to put your faith in Jesus. Anybody else here? I love, I see Christians praying right now. I love this, man. This is what we do. This is what we do. For the one that lifted their hand, maybe those that are watching online, maybe you were nervous about lifting up your hand. Would you pray with me? And we're going to make this simple. Just say this, these words. Jesus, today I trust you with my life. I trust you with every part of my life, my past, my present, and my future. Lord, you created the world. You sustained this world. And I need you to do that in my life. Create in my life a new heart. And just don't create a new life. Sustain this life. Help this life. Grow this life. And Lord, I pray over this individual. I pray, Lord, that you would just surround him with your presence. I pray that you would just let your love permeate his heart. That, Lord, he would just walk away from this place knowing without a shadow of a doubt that he may have walked in in darkness, but he leaves in the light. Not because of anything that we did. We couldn't pull ourselves off the tracks. We needed you, Lord. Every single one of us are here because of what you've done. So, Lord, I pray I just speak life over him. I speak grace. I speak mercy. I speak it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? The worship team is going to lead us into a song. At the very end of the song, we're going to take communion. So for some reason, if you are missed when you walked in, you missed it when, uh, during greeting time, you need to grab it from the corners, from the tables. But we're going to sing a song simply saying, All Hail King Jesus. And what I'm going to ask you to do today for just the next couple minutes is I want you to do what you were created to do. You were not created just to fill a job or to play a role. You were created to be an instrument of worship. And today, we're going to use our mouths, we're going to use our hands 